This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Longtime toy retailer Toys R Us filed for bankruptcy some six months ago. Now it appears as it if it will be holding liquidation sales across the United States at about 900 locations and closing its doors forever. And the statistics say that between 10 and 15 percent of all toy sales could go away, most likely forever, if that liquidation does happen. It is another amazing story of the shift we have seen the last few years away from big box retailers and towards online. To discuss the fate of Toys R Us, we're joined here in studio by Denise Dahlhoff, Research Director for the Baker Retailing Center here at the Wharton School, and on the phone with Mark Cohen, Director of Retail Studies at Columbia University, and as well as a former CEO of Sears Canada, Bradley's, and Lazarus Department Stores. Denise, great seeing you again. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Mark. Great to talk to you again. You bet. So, Mark, I, I mean, give us your reaction to what's going on with Toys R Us. I, I think for a lot of, of average consumers who maybe weren't following the story closely over the last couple of years, this one kind of catches them a bit a, as a surprise. Well, it, it really is no surprise. You know, the debt bomb that's been ticking away since the company was taken private by three private equity shops uh, has gone off. Uh, the business is a very challenging one. It, it has always been. For many years, Toys R Us was the, uh, the only game in town, if you will. They were the, one of the original superstores. Uh, they have faced extraordinary uh, competition from uh, players like Walmart and Target. They haven't been able to defend themselves. And with this overhang of enormous debt, the, uh, the light started to dim, and now they're about to go out. And even the combination with some of their babies R Us stores did did not allow them to to get that growth that they were looking for. Uh, Too little, too late. Denise, what was your reaction to all of this? Yeah, in addition to, you know, the competition, as Mark said, has changed so much, but also the consumer has changed so much. You know, kids spend way more time playing online video games. So there you have games that are digitized, um, so you don't have to go to a Toys R Us store for those. And in addition, the shopping experience, the process has moved online. And Toys R Us hasn't been the strongest in that area. And competitors like Amazon, Walmart, and Target have been very strong online. So... Those also added to the difficulties. Were there any rumors, Mark, or whispers that, that you had heard that of, of any company maybe wanting to buy Toys, Toys R Us in the lead-up in the last couple of months? I haven't heard anything at all, and, and I would have expected there would have been some uh, interest on the part of the real estate community, but then there's such a glut of excess available space throughout the country that uh, no surprise that nobody has stepped up, at least not yet. Well, that's one of the big stories in this that we wanted to touch on, and we'll touch on it now. Uh, As you mentioned, uh, there's a lot of retail space in malls and and other locations which still is not filled. Uh, When you look at it, uh, at the real estate aspect of this, are are there any natural companies out there that could potentially fill some of that space? I'm not going to even say all of that space. I think there's so much excess that's been uh, developed over the last 30 or 40 years, uh, much of which, or, or, or there's so much of that excess that's now going vacant through these serial bankruptcies and liquidations that uh, 
you'd have to be crazy to uh, make any kind of a, a concerted bid on this space unless you had something you really could roll out. And uh, frankly, um, I, I don't see anybody making the math work. Uh, these are not necessarily expensive stores, but there's a lot of them. And uh, uh, anybody who is interested in opening brick and mortar can pick and choose from an enormous portfolio of available spaces at literally very, very low rents. And also another trend we have seen in real estate for retailers has been smaller format stores. So all the, the Toys R Us stores are pretty um, pretty large, so who's going to fill that space? Un unless those bigger spaces are going to be broken up into smaller spaces, right. so other retailers could move in. For example, Target has been downsizing and you know launched these smaller stores, or many retailers have gone the showroom route, where you only keep a limited amount of inventory at the store and just use it more for you know, advice for selecting what you need and then order it online. What do you think this, this, I mean, obviously the shift, as you kind of alluded to, but what does it say about the toy industry as a whole? Because, I mean, Mattel and, and some of these other companies, uh, Hasbro, uh, obviously have done pretty well over the years, but some of the reporting said that, that this could be a segment losing Toys R Us that may not ever come back. So that has an impact on some of these companies as well. Yeah, it has been a weaker category in the sense of there hasn't been much growth. As I said earlier, um, kids are, you know, interacting more digitally, so there's just not as much demand. And then there has also been a lot of price pressure, you know, coming from imported goods from, from uh, lower-cost countries. Um, and now that, you know, Walmart, Amazon, and Target are in the game, you know, there could also be more of a price competition and a price war starting. Mark? Well, there's no question that apps and the devices that support them have become increasingly um, a toy of choice at holiday time. Uh, there's enormous energy in that space. Uh, the, the, the physical toy industry has struggled with coming up with the next, you know, Tickle Me Elmo, the next uh, Cabbage Patch doll that parents have to have their kids. Uh, the challenge of the business remains. It's an extraordinarily trend-sensitive business with enormous issues of service and supply. The lead times are, uh, are daunting. Uh, so so this, is a, this is an industry that has been struggling for years from a wholesale point of view, from a design product development wholesale point of view. And now the retail uh, network that has supported them has, has gone all in uh, substantially all into uh, Amazon, Walmart, uh, Target. Uh, independent toy stores have been closing for years. Uh, toys R Us is the last man standing, if you will. And I think unhappily for uh, everyone involved, they're probably about to liquidate. Well, it, you obviously are talking about an uh, you know an unbelievable segment of this industry, Mark. But what about also the you mentioned the independent toy store? But what about the mom and pop store that are in a lot of small towns still across America? And those are uh, you know toy stores that they, they rely on the local consumer on their neighbors to support them. Well, I you know I'm sure that there are there are uh, quite a few of these independents that remain. But at the end of the day, this is an enormously challenging segment. You know, 
most of the toy business is done in five or six weeks uh, during the year, during the holiday season. Uh, without the availability of something hot and new, the fallback is something like uh, you know Lego, which is a standby, which continues to do well, but doesn't necessarily keep the lights on all year round. That's the big struggle. And the other problem with the local stores might also be a pricing issue. Definitely, you know, if uh, Toys R Us is going to disappear now, it will leave a huge gap in the market for like a physical store that kids can go to to yeah. experience toys, you know, to try them out, to enter like a wonderland of toys. Um, so there is probably like an opportunity for a new retailer. However, local retailers are typically, you know, face the pricing issue. They have higher costs. They don't get the, you know, the great conditions that like a larger retailer gets. So um, those local stores might be competing then with the mass merchants that can offer better prices. Well, I, I'll take my own personal experience with, you know, my three kids, 11 and 9-year-old twins. Uh, the fact that, you know, rarely do we go to the toy store to begin with. And, and you know, we went to a Toys R Us in our neighborhood recently, but it was really only because my son had gotten gift cards for Toys R Us, and obviously now I'm glad that he got them. <laughs> he used them pretty quick to get them out of the way. Uh, but the other option would be, okay, we're going to Target to get something. Okay, the kids are going to run up to the toy section, and they're going to look right there. So there's not even the attraction necessarily to go to a, a place like Toys R Us anymore. Yeah, it's it's a completely different experience shopping at Target or Walmart. Obviously, for toys, it's not a specialty store, so it, it changes the entire experience. A great example, actually, a company that um, or a store that Toys R Us used to own is FAO Schwartz yeah. in New York, which yep. was super experiential. So you know those kinds of stores. I mean, maybe there's a you know there's a way for a new retailer to come in to offer something like that. But that was the kind of the niche type of idea, Mark, and you being in New York. I mean, FAO Schwartz was a draw because there were so many people that were visiting New York, and obviously the the name kind of carried with it uh, quite a, a long history of, of pretty good consumer uh, consumer options. Well, you know, you know, Toys R Us, irrespective of the competition that they faced from the discounters, which, which came from out of nowhere and sort of took away their superstore status, um, they they are guilty of serial mismanagement over the years. The stores were over large. They were very poorly merchandised. They were just jammed full of inventory. Uh, service levels were near non-existent. There was no experiential opportunity like what you would have found at an FAO Schwartz, which sort of made its mark in that regard. Uh, toys never made uh, a concerted enough effort to bring that experiential uh, opportunity into the toy stores themselves. Um, I think they, they uh, once they went uh, uh, private, they sort of cleaned up their act a little bit, but there was no uh, consequential effort to reimagine themselves, to uh, present themselves in a more engaging and uh, attractive way. Uh, they were still trading on the view that they were the center of the universe for the toy industry, and of course, they no longer were. And so, and so, this failure um, began before they went private. It, the company was doing poorly. That's, I guess, why the 
private equity uh, uh, trio swooped in and and uh, and took them out, thinking they could fundamentally improve their uh, performance. Uh, frankly, they put someone in the job who had no capacity to do that and didn't do that. And so this struggle has been going on for a very long time. Uh, Retailers today, especially in any kind of a fashion or trend segment, which most retailers find themselves in, have to progress. They have to morph. They have to modify. They have to represent the changes in the marketplace and their customers' behavior. Uh, and toys just really has never been able to, to, to wrap their, their arms around the changes necessary, and this is the inevitable outcome. Yeah, I think in the fall they, which was you know too little, too late, probably to your point earlier, Mark. But I think they launched this new initiative to have like play labs in their stores, where where kids could you know try out new toys. But another company that comes to mind in the toy category, speaking of you know adjusting to all the changes, is Build a Bear, which is a highly experiential store where you can make your own your own customized uh, stuffed animal. And so when, you know, when the world went digital, they started to get more digital by, you know, offering, for example, once you build your bear in the store, you could bath it in a virtual tub. And, you know, it was just more interactive with, you know, you could pick your own customized sound for the bear. Um, and they connected it to online experiences. You, for example, you can find your, the bear has an ID, you can, you know, identify it. So that's an, ex that's an example of, of an company in that industry that tried to go with the changes and respond. So, Mark, Mark it, it, you mentioned uh, Walmart and obviously Amazon Online, but are they two uh, of, of the companies that really uh, unfortunately benefit the most because of, of Toys R Us basically shutting their doors here in the, in the near future? Well, the, the, the market share they will gather up will be um, uh, noticeable to the toy industry, but but they're so big relative to the amount of business Toys R Us is currently doing that it's not going to that they're not going to change the force of the tides here. Uh, I, I I think Amazon is the big winner, and as they have been generally speaking, I think this does create an opportunity for independence to reawaken, if you will, if they can figure out a way to find uh, a reasonable space. Uh, and can finance their business because, again, it's such a seasonally driven business. Um, so, so, you know, the, 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 the customer isn't going to disappear. The energy around product development isn't going to um, dissipate. Uh, there will be opportunities here. Now, Denise mentions uh, Build-A-Bear. Build-A-Bear is an excellent example of a business that emerged, took tremendous uh, uh, share, if you will. They were really the only viable player in the plush space. Um, they, they expanded. Uh, they got hurt because they were tremendously reliant on mall traffic, and as mall traffic declined, they felt tremendous pressure as a result. What did they do? Well, they put an enormous effort into online, as well as moving many of their stores into alternative venues, like um, uh, athletic arenas, cruise ships, things of that sort. They are the ultimate experiential toy retailer, if you will, because uh, a, a child creates their plush toy literally on site or customizes it online. Toys 
did nothing but load the shelves with goods. And um, that isn't good enough in an, in a, uh, an era where uh, alternative retailers under, undercut them in price or create more engaging opportunities, which is what the, uh, the tech segment has done. And, and even, Mark, outside of that six-week window around the holiday season, uh, the percentage of, of, of these items that were probably sitting on the shelves at a Toys R Us uh, for a long period of time had to be very high, correct? Well, the, 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 uh, the fact is it's the, it's the ultimate seasonal business. You know, uh, the the company would like to have convinced the investment community that it is um, a business that's viable all year round. But in point of fact, it goes through this very deep valley until fall and then relies extraordinarily on the presence of some hot uh, new assortments that it used to get its uh, uh, more than its fair share of. But suddenly it, it wasn't getting its fair share because Walmart, Target, Amazon were taking out available production. And so and to, to, to make the, the, the business even more difficult, this is an industry that has to pick its winners a year in advance from a physical yeah. point of view. And so there's almost never enough of a hot toy. And, of course, with the voracious discounting that's gone on, there, there's no opportunity that toys used to have historically to get full margin for, for a hot toy. It was immediately put on deep discount. So, you know, their only chance would have been years ago when they went, pub, when they went private to reconceptualize themselves, and they didn't do that. They just didn't do that. I don't know what the private equity players were thinking. Uh, they no doubt had uh, a tremendous series of expectations of improvement, but the management they put in place never seemed to act on any of that. Denise? Yeah, actually, I wanted to add, like, you know, to your question about, you know, what's going to happen to Walmart and, and Target in this, you know, with all the changes, for them, the opportunity is also to buy maybe some of these smaller toy manufacturers to have more, maybe make them exclusive brands for their store. Right. Because it's also very commoditized. Everybody sells the same things, you know, to Mark's points about the the best sellers. Um, so maybe that's an opportunity to, you know, buy smaller brands to be a little bit different. But it also says a lot, not only about the kind of the toy industry, Mark, but I was just thinking about the fact that, you know, in terms of of kids when you go to buy a bicycle these days. The old, the old bicycle shop has, has kind of gone away in some locations as well, and that has kind of morphed into either Amazon or eBay or uh, or into Walmart or Target. Uh, you know, we've, we just continue to see all kinds of consolidation on a variety of different uh, elements that we, we use as, as younger individuals. Well, bicycles are not as uh, seasonal as toys, but the bicycle industry is seasonally driven. It's largely a warm weather uh, a business. The bicycle uh, retailers that seem to um, remain are specialists who I think are selling um, high-end, semi or actual customized bikes with lots of accessories and do all sorts of service. So they differentiate themselves in that regard. The business 
has always been somewhat commodity-driven at the low end, and that's where the targets, Walmarts, and I guess to some degree Amazon, um, continue to, to, to hold enormous share. Uh, you know, this, this is a Darwinian industry retail, and it, it, is, it is no in no small measure um, based upon the survival of the fittest, and the fittest have things that, that are uh, highly differentiated, that are only available from them, or are the lowest price. And independents can differentiate on the basis of assortment and service, but they almost never, in fact, never can differentiate on the basis of lowest price because they just don't have the leverage. Even with the consumer seeing a, a landscape a little bit better for them, Right now, a little bit more money in the pocket. The economy is better. You're still talking about industries that are really struggling at this point, Denise. Yeah, because consumer behavior has changed so much, like preferences for certain products, you know, video games are in, um, and also, you know, the way to shop and the way to interact with, with toys. Um, but I do wonder, you know, what the future of play is, you know, with, with kids interacting more with digital devices, whether there will be a resurgence at some point, you know. For example, you have seen like the play cafes and indoor playgrounds. They have been uh, quite popular. So there is a, you know, there is a market for experiences and that for play. Um, another good example for, you know, a retailer offering kids experiences is IKEA. You know, they're yeah. they're uh, they're a play world, and they I think they have even put some play areas into their cafes. Um, so they're you know these are examples that kids enjoy the in store experience. So D Mark, does does this unfortunate closing by by Toys R Us? We talked about how Walmart and and Amazon are are, are picking up some of the slack in this area. Does it, it potentially give some other retailers maybe the opportunity to think about maybe we can pick up some of that slack as well? Or is it, as you kind of alluded to, it's such a nuanced sector uh, of retail right now that to kind of jump into that type that, uh, that part of the pool at this point would be very, very tough. Well, you know, JCPenney is desperately trying to survive the catastrophe that befell them uh, in 2012 and 13. Uh, by um, acquiring businesses that others are uh, giving up. So they went into the appliance business to try to take advantage of the ongoing demise of Sears. That, I guess, has given them some volume, but it's certainly not um, breathed enough fresh new life into the business to get them out of trouble. I think they've also announced, or they've actually taken action to go uh, more deeply into the toy segment, um, Again, it's five or six weeks of business, and so, yeah. uh, you know, is, is it a life-saving effort? Uh, no. Uh, might it be effective to some degree? Yes, but, but not enough to change the force of the tides. So what does, what does it mean then for, for, for you, for the toy manufacturer, the, the, the Mattel, the Hasbro of the world? Well, the two big guns are, are uh, off and on again reported to be talking about combining uh, you know, consolidation is what industries do when they're in trouble. Uh, so that may very well happen. Uh, they are going to have to, whether they combine or not, find a way to speak directly to the consumer, something they really don't do, haven't done. 
they're going to have to find a way to either uh, create websites that are compelling for their products or actually begin to invest in physical stores uh, in, their, in their own right. Something I think they've uh, played with over many years but never really gone all in against. Uh, they don't have a very, very rosy future unless they can carve out a more uh, viable economic channel for themselves because the businesses they do with, or the business that they do with Walmart, Target, Amazon are increasingly margin limited <clears throat> because of the demands that those retailers make on wholesale pricing. Denise? It could also force them to cut cost and to cut their assortments to just focus on the best sellers um, and sell them into your, you know, your big retail partners. Right. However, again, that reduces variety and price competition between retailers. Um, I'm thinking another channel that, again, it's low margin, but maybe the off-price channel will also benefit from that. Maybe that's a new channel to explore because it has been a growing sector. Um, popular with you know millennials and young parents, so yeah. maybe that's another uh, another channel that will benefit. Great having you both with us. Thank you, Denise, for coming in. Appreciate it. Thanks for having Mark. Me. Great having you on the phone. Enjoy the rest of your day. You bet. Thank you, Mark Cohen from uh, Columbia University. Denise Dalhoff from here at the Wharton School. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.